Aphrodite, a humorous Regency novel by D.G. Rampton. Chapter 42 Lord Wolfingston was the first to pull away. Taking Mrs. Delamere's hands into his own, he said in a voice gruff with emotion, Lucille, will you do me the honour of finally becoming my countess? A profound silence followed. It was broken by Mrs. Starling's whisper. Finally? Has he asked her before then? Oblivious to all but the man before her, Mrs. Delamere stared into his eyes. Marriage? she asked at last, incredulous. Nothing less than marriage will do, my dear, replied Lord Wolfingston. I'm not going to lose you again to a better offer. You old fool, she said. We hardly know each other. Lord Wolfingston offered her an arrogant smile. Whatever more there is to learn, we can learn after the knot is tied. Neither one of us has the luxury of time. We might live another year or another ten, but I'll be damned if I wait another minute to call you mine. Are you willing to risk it all, Aphrodite? His grace flicked a surprised glance at April, while everyone else held their breath conscious they were witnessing a moment of uncommon rarity. Mrs. Delamere laughed softly and shook her head, seemingly unable to believe the turn of events fate had presented her. I have always had a weakness for games of risk, but you already know that, don't you? She remarked. She scanned Lord Wolfingston's countenance, as if searching for something, then said with sudden vehemence, if I should be so foolish as to accept you, be warned, I shan't go easy on you, and if you try my temper, there'll be hell to pay. I'm counting on it, he replied. She smiled and leisurely ran one gloved finger down his profile to his lips. You always were a handsome devil. Yes, Barnaby, I do believe I have a fancy to be your wife. A wolfish grin spread across his lordship's face, and he pulled her into his arms again. The room erupted in cheers, and a throng of well-wishers surged forward to surround them. Only Lady Hartwood was looking less than pleased. Hurrying over to her daughter, she exclaimed, Oh, love, what will become of us now? He is bound to discover her past, and I shudder to think what will happen next. April wiped away an emotional tear with the handkerchief Hugh had kindly put into her hand and gave her mother a reassuring, slightly unfocused smile. Don't fret, Mamma. He knows all and clearly cares not. He knows? But how? Becoming conscious of the fact that Hugh was still standing beside her, April leaned towards her mother and whispered, I shall tell you later but know that you can be perfectly comfortable. Lady Hartwood seemed happy to accept this, and her spirits, always easily led, brightened considerably. Well, if you think so, love, then it must be so. And I believe it would be best if I take that, she said firmly, removing April's punch glass from her hand. Some water would do you a world of good. And you, Hugh dear, what do you think of their engagement? I think it will allow them to focus their energies on each other and leave their family to stumble through life without their interference. Oh, I had not considered the matter from that perspective, she said delightedly. 
Let us hope you are correct. For their sake, of course. Of course, he agreed with a slight tremor. And to think he has been in love with her all these years. Who would have thought? Years, ma'am? Only a few weeks, surely, said Hugh, unable to refrain from teasing her a little. Oh, one can easily suppose they have met at some point in the past, said Lady Hartwood airily. They likely moved in the same circles. And, if that is the case, then one can't help but feel for poor Lord Wolfingston, almost his whole life blighted, pining for her. Hugh preserved his countenance with difficulty as he thought of the considerable amusement his grandfather had derived from the last fifty years in the company of a multitude of dashing mistresses who had kept him entertained even throughout a twenty-year marriage. Mamma, you are being fanciful, said April, smiling fondly at her. Oh, not at all. If you had been standing as close to them as I was, you too would have been struck by the look in his eyes. It was so romantic. It... It quite overcomes one to think about it. Oh, thank you, Hugh, dear, she said, sniffing delicately and accepting the handkerchief April had only just returned to him. I must go and offer them my felicitations. As her mother walked off to join the group surrounding the newly affianced couple, April remarked, What an unexpected turn of events. Did you have any idea he meant to propose? None at all, replied Hugh. I only hope they don't come to regret such a shockingly impulsive decision. I doubt it. They both have well-honed instincts. You must be delighted, of course, he said with amusement. You will now be able to call Mrs. Delamere grandmother quite freely. Alarm registered on her countenance, and, grabbing his arm, she pulled him out of the small circle of blue light and into the darkness beyond. Unfortunately, she could not see where she was going and tripped over something in her path, almost bringing Hugh down on top of her. Are you all right? he asked, bracing himself against a chair and helping her to stand upright. Yes, but it's of no import. Why did you say I could call Mrs. Delamere grandmother? she whispered urgently. Through a process of deduction, I've managed to surmise that Mrs. Delamere is set to become your grandmother through marriage. Why are you whispering? Oh, yes, of course. How stupid of me. And I'm not whispering. I shan't contradict you, but I feel I should point out, Miss Hartwood, that it's now safe for you to let go of my coat. Becoming aware that both her hands were clutching the lapels of this garment, she loosened her grip, but did not let go. I'm sorry, is it crushed? And I wish you wouldn't call me Miss Hartwood. I know you only do so to annoy me. I don't know if it's crushed. It's somewhat hard to tell in the dark. And I apologise for annoying you by calling you by your name. She did not reply and continued to cling to him. It's a particularly fine coat, isn't it? He went on. I can understand why you're not quite ready to release it. I hope you don't mind the imposition. I am feeling a little unsteady, she confided. The room keeps spinning around in a most dreadful manner. She swayed to one side, and Hugh gently took hold of her shoulders and righted her. Steady, my darling girl, 
How much have you had to drink? I don't know what you're implying, she said affronted. I've only had one glass since dinner, and I'm most definitely not your darling girl. I saw the servants top up your one glass at least three times, and if I say you're my darling girl, then you are. Miss Darling won't allow it, she said somewhat sadly. She won't have anything to say in the matter. Silly, of course she will. You don't imagine she'll allow you to go around calling me your darling girl. It's ludicrous. Oh dear, the room is spinning again. Before she knew what was happening, Hugh had lifted her off her feet and was holding her against him. Is that better? he asked. I'm floating, she said in wonder, close to his ear. I'm going to carry you to bed. Oh no, we can't do that. It isn't proper. Only a husband is allowed those privileges. I'm carrying you to your own bed, to sleep, he clarified, as he began to navigate his way in the dark. But don't put thoughts into my head if you don't want me to. He paused. If I don't want you to what? Never mind. It seems grossly unfair, she sighed. What does? She did not reply, and he assumed she had fallen asleep. He managed to pass out of the room unseen, just as the servants were beginning to relight the candles. As he crossed the corridor to the staircase, the light from the candles in the war sconces showed him that April was wide awake and regarding him thoughtfully. I think it unfair, she continued their conversation, as if no time had passed, that men are not restricted to the marriage bed. Do you intend on taking a mistress after you wed? Good God, no. I'll have my hands full with my wife. I suppose Miss Starling will be pleased to know that, she said, stroking a tuft of hair under his ear. He turned his head to look at her. I doubt she'll care either way, he said gruffly, his gaze dropping to her lips. I would care if my husband had a mistress. In fact, I imagine I would be furious enough to shoot him. Thank you for the warning. But I was forgetting. I'll never marry. Don't you want to get married? I do, but I won't, she explained, thinking herself to be making perfect sense. Not even to your duke? She yawned and put up a hand to cover her mouth, before replying, Eustace, yes, I suppose if I had to marry without love, I would rather marry him than anyone else. But he is my friend, and I couldn't serve him such a trick. He never wants to marry. Just as well. Your husband would have something to say about you having thoughts of marrying another man. You are being particularly obtuse this evening. I've just told you I will never marry, so it stands to reason my husband won't exist to object. You see? Yes, my darling girl, I see. You mustn't call me that, she said, yawning again and closing her eyes. It makes me feel very peculiar. Hugh had reached her bedchamber by this time, and, as April's maid was nowhere to be seen, he put her down on the bed and pulled on the bell rope. He filled a glass with water from the jug left out on the bedside table and, supporting her, forced her to drink the lot. When she was finished, 
he gently lay her back down. She curled up on her side and watched him through heavy-lidded eyes, her good hand under her cheek and the bandaged one flung out. I wish with all my heart you were unattractive and disagreeable, she murmured. Hugh sat down on the bed beside her and stroked her short curls away from her forehead. My poor girl, don't delude yourself. I am unattractive and I can be very disagreeable on occasion. You are not to me. Close your eyes now. I'll stay with you until your maid comes. When Rachel entered the room a few minutes later, she found Hugh sitting beside the sleeping form of her mistress, carefully rebandaging her hand. On catching sight of her, he said quietly, Rachel, is it? Miss Hartwood calls me Rachel, sir, but Browning would be more proper. Which do you prefer? The question seemed to startle her, and she hesitated. Rachel is my given name, but the other servants, they don't always understand. They've been giving you grief, have they? Then Browning it shall be. I am sure Miss Hartwood will agree once I explain the matter to her. Rachel smiled her thanks, her female intuition finding nothing curious about the fact that Hugh was taking it upon himself to sort out a matter her mistress would undoubtedly consider entirely private. Miss Hartwood's hand is healing well, he went on, but I'd like you to clean the wounds again in the morning and put on a fresh bandage. And refill the water jug. She's going to have a headache when she wakes up. With an easy smile, entirely at odds with the mood in which she had last seen him this morning, Hugh stood and walked out of the room. End of chapter 42